Hi, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and I was on a mission to get vengeance on my ex, but instead, I just slept with Spike. We are here today to talk about Entropy, the 18th episode of season six. It aired on April 30th, 2002, and was written by Drew Z. Greenberg with Rebecca Rand Kirshner and Stephen S. DeKnight as story editors. This episode was directed by Buffy veteran James A. Contner and features the last ever view of the Double Meat Palace for just a few seconds when Willow is scanning through all of the Geek Trio video feeds. Now, I'm not going to say that I miss the DMP because I don't, but my personal headcanon is that the place shut down and Kirsten Nelson bounced around the country a little bit before landing on the Hellmouth in Detroit and becoming a superhero who, you know, battles the forces of evil. There's nothing textual at all to support that. I just really like Kirsten Nelson. I wish your intestines were tied in knots and ripped apart inside your lousy gut. They are. Really? Right now? Does it hurt? God, yes. It hurts so bad, it's killing me. Anya, I love you. I want to make this work. Those are metaphor intestines. You're not in any real pain. What's wrong with me? Last week, we talked about Normal again, which felt like a return to form for Buffy, albeit a bizarro return, after a bit of a rocky run. Entropy, for me, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer getting back down to serious business. Anya's return as she seeks vengeance and solace alternates between hilarious and heartbreaking, and Emma Caulfield's performance proves that this woman can do so much more than just be funny. And I'm so glad we're finally seeing an Anya with all those layers baked into the cake. This is also a wonderful episode for Spike, for Willow and Tara, for Dawn and Buffy. As a matter of fact, the only person not served terribly well by Entropy is Xander, and I don't think we can blame that on the writing. Nicholas Brendan has turned in some emotional performances before, but there's something so awkward and uncomfortable in his demeanor this season when he has to do the deep emotional stuff that, I don't know. Look, acting is hard. I know, I've tried, and I am a truly terrible actress. I just can't do it, so I get it. It's one of those things that looks easy, but is really, really not. I know Brendan can pull the emotion out. We've seen him do it before, but for some reason in these last few episodes, it's been really tough to watch because Xander's deep emotional moments come off stiff and uncomfortable. When he needs to be funny, he's still got it, but that vulnerability seems to be a difficult stretch for him during this time, and that's too bad because I think there's some good material for him. All right, let's get into the weeds. I guess it's natural for guys to be interested in- God, what kind of lesbians are you? If you love men so much, go love men! Oh, Anya, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I know I'm a bigger Anya fan than some. She wasn't particularly well used in seasons four or five and, well, most of six, point conceded. I know a lot of the time I was defending the character based on where she'd go rather than where she was, but now we're at the place where the character I've always loved is finally coming through loud and clear, and Emma Caulfield is killing it in this role. She has that amazing comic timing that we've taken advantage of and overused, in my opinion, throughout the years, but she combines it with genuine heartbreak and confusion and hurt, and it just leads me to the same damn conclusion every time. Emma Caulfield is a genius. When she returns to the apartment ready for payback with her face all veiny, showing us that she has indeed returned to the vengeance fold, it seems like such an easy hit. She's going to curse Xander. Then she can't. 
And we learn later from Halfrecht that there are rules to this sort of thing. A vengeance demon can't pursue vengeance on her own behalf. So now we go on this wild merry-go-round where Anya is hilariously trying to get Willow, Tara, Dawn, and Buffy to wish something awful on Xander so she can wreak her vengeance. And they won't do it. It stretches believability a bit that no one picked up on the scent of the ex-vengeance demon trying to get them to make a wish for vengeance, but everyone's so focused on the pain their friends are going through that I guess you can see where they might be a bit blinded to the obvious. And then we have this wonderful transition from funny to sad when Anya talks with Buffy, admitting how much it all hurts. And just as Buffy's about to wish for something, although I expect it's a wish that she could take the pain away rather than inflict more, Xander shows up and interrupts right as Anya is about to finally achieve her goal. It's so wonderfully written and transitions so smoothly from funny to heartbreaking. As a writer, this sequence astounds me every time. Making it look easy, that Greenberg, and none of this is easy. But that's not even the best of Anya in this episode. In the second half, we get her in the magic box, commiserating with Spike, whose vampiric heart has taken a beating as well. And the two of them sharing their pain is funny and touching and emotionally connected all at once. They turn to each other sexually, both of them transitioning away from their past. And once it's over, there's a tenderness in the way they look at each other, each of them feeling bad for using the other, but still friendly and connected. Lesser writing or lesser acting in the sequence could have been painful, but it all works so beautifully. And then we end on this confrontation with Xander as he, having seen them on the Geek Trio's video feed, goes after Spike with an axe. And here again, things get kind of weird with Nicholas Brendan's struggle with this performance. Spike spitefully drops the bomb that he and Buffy have been sleeping together and everyone walks away alone to the dulcet tones of Alison Krauss. It's good stuff. Mostly. In that case, why don't you sleep with me again? Because I don't love you. Like hell. We mentioned Spike's attachment to his delusions, and they continue this week as he refuses to believe that Buffy doesn't love him. Throughout the run of Buffy, it's been clear that vampires can have the capacity to love, but the love they have tends to run dark. Spike was born a romantic as William Pratt, and he continued in that vein for a couple of centuries as he tore a violent path through Europe with Drusilla. It was a dark love, but it was love. But even as a romantic, Spike won't just fall for anyone. He was with Harmony for a long time, but never loved her. So we know that the love itself isn't part of the delusional tendencies. His love is real and specific, if twisted. In the past few years, though, Spike has been put on something of a medieval rack, identity-wise. It started with the chip. Unable to hurt humans, he struggled with his sense of who he was until he realized he could battle demons, and his deep need for violence overran his sense of identity, and he formed an alliance with the good guys. Then, against his better judgment, he found himself in love with Buffy, which many people could argue is a thread that started at the end of season two when he struck his first alliance with her, and she responded by hitting him in the face. Love and violence. For Spike, they're two sides of the same coin. Fast forward to the present. Spike has both loved and lost Buffy. He's still stuck with the chip, which prevents him from doing the one thing he's meant to do, hunt and kill humans. And his only functional sense of identity is tied into loving this one woman who will never love him back. Last week, he told Buffy she was addicted to the misery, and that sounds like a bit of a projection to me. 
So here he commiserates with Anya, has his transitional affair, and in the end, bitter and vengeful, he lets the secret slip, believing that if Buffy's friends know about them, they'll push her away and back into his arms. It's all delusional, but the look on Spike's face after he reveals their affair doesn't signal the end of that delusion to me. When I see that expression, I think back to that moment earlier in the episode when Buffy confronted him about the spy cameras. You believe him, don't you? You think I was spying on you. You think I could do that? Because you don't lie or cheat or steal or manipulate. I don't hurt you. Except he does hurt Buffy. He just did. He's done it before, and he'll do it again. Because Spike may be smart and funny and acutely perceptive, at least when he doesn't have a dog in the fight, but he doesn't understand what actual love really is. At least, not yet. Trust has to be built again on both sides. You have to learn if, if we're even the same people we were, if you can fit in each other's lives. It's a long, important process. Can we just skip it? Can you just be kissing me now? Oh, man. So, after last week's mildly false conflict with a friend-girl Tara kissed on the cheek after class, Willow and Tara have talked, cleared the air, had coffee, and tried to explain to Anya that being a lesbian doesn't mean that they hate men. And now, at the end of this episode, we have this wonderful reconnection between the two of them. Tara's speech about how important it is to do the hard work and see if it's even possible, but screw it, let's skip it, let's be us again. It's one of the best reconciliation speeches ever in the history of television, and I'd say probably in the history of ever as well. When couples break up, there's usually a good reason, and so reconciliation stories always have that weight upon them. But we've been with Willow through her transition out of the addiction of magic. We don't need to go around that mulberry bush again. This is what the show is saying for the moment, so we'll leave it there for the moment. And we know that what was wrong with Tara and Willow was never whether or not they loved each other. Their relationship reflects nicely on the essential brokenness that is Xander and Anya and Spike and Buffy. No matter what, Willow and Tara are a team. They are there for each other. They love each other wholly and completely, and they will find their way back to each other. And while the work of reconciliation is important, and figuring out what went wrong and why is a vital process, I'm fully behind Tara's request to just skip it because we already know that they are special. They are a single unit, and the world is just wrong and broken when they're apart. What if, instead of you hanging out with me, Maybe I could hang out with you. Why don't I come patrolling with you tonight? Oh, and then maybe we could invite over some strangers and ask them to feed you candy. Well, you guys went out patrolling every night when you were my age. True, but technically you're one and a half. While all this other heavy relationship movement is happening elsewhere, we have some quiet mending going on between Buffy and Dawn. And I have to say, I like what we're doing here. Buffy and Dawn bond on an awkward trip to the mall, where apparently Dawn's shoplifting spree has made her public enemy number one. And then the next morning, over breakfast, Dawn tells Buffy that it's okay that Buffy tried to kill her. And then she goes in for her own kill. Instead of Buffy spending time with Dawn, why can't Dawn spend time with Buffy? Like, on patrol. Like, slaying. 
This is such a great note, and of course, it's the best place for conflict between Dawn and Buffy to erupt. Dawn wanting adventure, wanting to play a role in the fight against evil, and Buffy wanting her safe. After sacrificing her life to protect Dawn, I can see Buffy's point there. But rather than Dawn's resentment that Buffy's not paying enough attention to her, how wonderful would it have been to have this be what Dawn was after all season, trying to battle demons to not be the helpless little kid that everyone has to save all the time. But as they say, better late than never. I like the movement we get in the Buffy-Dawn relationship here, and while it's an easy note to miss in the midst of all these twirling romances, it's a good note for them. Not impressed, Padawan. When do we hit pay dirt? Something goes wrong, it's gonna surge. We'll be better than an ex-girlfriend. What did you say? Just let me work. Again, with all the razzle-dazzle of the romance stories in this episode, it's easy to miss the movement going on in the background with the geek trio, but there's interesting stuff afoot. Not the strange disc that they're chasing vampires to get in the beginning, because, huh? What's important here is the division in the ranks. Jonathan is still suffering with guilt and anger over what happened with Katrina. Andrew is still dumb and clueless and apparently without a moral compass, and Warren is still a misogynistic butt. We see that Warren and Andrew are plotting against Jonathan, who seems to be too wrapped up in his own torment to really notice the secret whispers. I love the way we have three angles on morality through these three. Now, Jonathan's no angel. We've seen him be selfish and short-sighted and not a little bit rapey, but his struggle with a line he wasn't prepared to cross is interesting and crunchy. I like what it does for his character. As we know, people don't change until they're put under enough pressure, and it's good to see that Jonathan has enough of a soul that killing a girl will wake him up to what he's done if the previous things he's done didn't. At least he's woken up now. Andrew's lack of any moral center is interesting. He's not really smart or motivated enough to pursue evil, but he sure will follow it like an imprinted baby duck. Killing Katrina and betraying Jonathan doesn't seem to present a problem for Andrew. As long as he has Warren to tell him what to do, he's okay. There's a point in this episode when Warren calls him weak, and just because Warren is using the point to manipulate and control Andrew doesn't make it any less true. And Warren is beyond all help or hope. He remains a misogynistic turd. We get a particularly gross line from him in this episode that I'm not going to put in here because you. And he's flatly unrepentant for his evil deeds. The murder of the woman he claimed to love doesn't appear to weigh heavily on his heart, and he pursues his plan to betray Jonathan with no apparent internal conflict. He almost seems gleeful at the opportunity to hurt others. There's more than a touch of the sadist in this guy, and the coldness in his affect is absolutely chilling. In this episode, we once again refer to Spike as an evil, soulless thing. But the role of the soul in evil is up for debate here. It would appear that goodness doesn't come from the mere possession of a soul. You have to actually use it. Spike doesn't have that option, so is he less evil than Warren, who does? Is Andrew's feckless following his refusal to think critically and acknowledge the evil he's doing? Is that a greater sin than all of Spike's murderous rampages? And Jonathan, who knows and feels the weight of his soul, yet says nothing. How bad is he? I think I know my answers to these questions. I want to know yours. Chipperish.com slash forum. Bloody Xander, bogged up everything. You know, I wish. Don't. 
Entropy is one of my all-time favorite episodes of Buffy, and while I am fully cognizant of all the ways in which season six can be a disappointment for a lot of viewers, I think there are some rich philosophical veins being mined in this season, and right now is when we start to pay them off. Season six of Buffy is about the nature of all kinds of love, romantic, familial, and platonic. It touches on the nature of both human and demonic evil, the power of the soul, and the pursuit of one's own identity and role in the world. Whatever the valid complaints are about season six, and there are many, you don't have to look too hard to find amazing work being done in these episodes, and it would be a shame for anyone to miss out on that. That'll do it for today. I'll be back next time with season six, episode 19, Seeing Red. Until then, stay pretty. Still Pretty is a chipperish media production and is entirely patron supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com slash chipperish.